How's it going, New Hope? Thanks again for joining us for our online uh, church experience. Of course, we wish we could be together in person and hopefully in, in the not-too-distant future. But thanks for taking time. We're, we're so grateful we can gather uh, with you and worship this morning. I want to give you uh, updates on our property. We've been trying to keep you up to speed. And this past week was a huge milestone. We uh, actually closed uh, on our deal with Our Lady Levain Catholic Church. And uh, now we, we no longer own our, our building and our property. Uh, this is, if, you're, if this is a shock to you and you're like, what is he talking about? You can go to our website and we've got an in-depth uh, relocation a tab you can click on. There's all kind of information there. Uh, this is a journey that we've been on for quite a while to steward what God has given us. And we've been pressing in and praying and seeking wisdom. And God presented us with this option a few years ago. And we've been working towards it. And we truly believe as we've chosen this path that this puts our church in a better position to freely go after the mission that he's given us to follow Jesus and share his love. So praise God. So many of you have been praying. So many of you out there, uh, so many people on our staff have been working towards this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and, and thanks most of all to God. I truly believe our church is entering a remarkable new season. Uh, the best is yet to come. So give it up for the Lord. Do whatever you want to do. Dance, you know, whatever move you want to do. I probably shouldn't have done that, but Praise God. We're really grateful. Uh, our team uh, continues uh, to explore options on where our long-term home will be, so be praying uh, for us in that. We continue uh, to hope at some point to meet at Clackamas High School. We're in communication with them, and uh, we look forward to that as we wait to see how all of this uh, plays out. So please, please, please continue uh, to be uh, praying for us. But we wanted to update you on that. We're, we're really grateful. Uh, we're going to continue in our, our series uh, studying Paul's letter to the Philippians. So go ahead and turn with me to Philippians uh, chapter 2. Uh, I'll be reading verses uh, uh, 5 through 11 to start us out this morning. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Our world, our culture, uh, our, our broken hearts fall into this mindset that success is going higher and higher. And we see this virtually everywhere from the very beginning of our lives onward. I began to play sports at a, at, at a young age. My parents actually got me uh, a year early onto a, a junior soccer team when I was five, and I just played all sort of sports growing up, still continue to love to play sports and follow them. In the sports arena, you're not going for third place. <laughs> you're certainly not going for last place. You're going for first place. If you get first place, you're the winner, higher and higher. In school, 
you're not shooting for a C. C's aren't rewarded. D's aren't rewarded. We're told to do better when we get those grades. It's the people that get A's that are rewarded. The person that has the C average isn't speaking at graduation. This is the person with the, the top grades, the person that's going higher and higher. In our economic system that we call capitalism, it's meant to reward those who are the best and the brightest and work the hardest and make the most money, that they're climbing the corporate ladder. They're going higher and higher. Even our scientific theory is predicated upon the powerful being on top survival of the fittest. Now, that's not to say there's anything wrong with competing hard and getting first place or making A's or working really hard in the, in the business world or whatever profession you're in. Nothing wrong with that, but it reinforces this false narrative that's in our broken hearts that to succeed is to go higher and higher. The problem is with that, Jesus says the exact opposite. <laughs> Jesus says that success is not going higher and higher that success is going lower and lower. We're in the third week of a series we'll call, we're calling A New Way of Living, stu studying Paul's letter to uh, the Philippians. Paul is trying to get us to think differently, principally about ourselves, but about other things as well, so that we will live differently. Last week we looked at this idea that Paul told us that we're we're gospel citizens. The gospel is the announcement of God's uh, reign and restoration through King Jesus. That that started, that's begun, and that we're part of that. And if we have the gospel citizen mentality, it absolutely changes how we live. This week, Paul's going to talk more about that mindset, actually telling us that we're supposed to have the mindset of Jesus himself. And in the mindset of Jesus, success isn't going higher and higher, it's going lower and lower. The way of Jesus is not about ascending greatness, it's about descending greatness, going lower and lower to serve one another. We've been mentioning a book by my friend, Dr. Nijay Gupta. He's a Philippian scholar called Reading Philippians. A, a number of you have, have mentioned to me that you've gotten it, you're really enjoying. I want to encourage all of you to get it. It's a slender, small little book, but I think it will deepen your experience. We still have a couple weeks to go in this series. It will be easy for you to catch up. So I want to encourage you to get that. I twisted Nijay's arm, and uh, he'll be here in a couple weeks. He's actually going to preach one of the messages in the series. So I personally am really looking forward to that. We'll finally have a preacher that knows what they're talking about, so that'll be great. So we're going to uh, jump in today to what many Philippian scholars consider the core passage in Paul's uh, letter to the Philippians. I read it at the top, verses 5 through 11. Before we dive into that, let's read verses 1 through 4. We don't want to skip that. We always want to read scripture in context. So here's the context, the four verses that bridge what we looked at last week uh, to what I just read at the top of the message. S Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if, any, if there, you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, that's going to be a key word, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest 
of others. Paul's first word in chapter two is therefore. It's a connecting word. It, it's meant to make us look backward and like, okay, what did we talk about last week? So a uh, brief review, gospel citizen. How does the gospel citizen think? How does the gospel citizen live? I ended by talking about three qualities of a gospel citizen. You can go back and, and check that message out. But one of the qualities of a gospel citizen, if you remember, is Paul said to stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. We talked about Roman military formations that he was alluding to likely, that we're to stand together and stand firm. We don't break break rank as gospel citizens. We're to be united and experience unity. Key theme in the letter. We'll know, we know if we read ahead a little bit in Philippians that there was dissension in the church. They were having personal conflicts. So Paul will talk about that. We'll unpack that as we go. Paul's already laying the groundwork for dealing with that. He's like, that's not a gospel citizen. That shouldn't be going on in your communities. What's Paul's answer? Paul even says uh, that his joy will be complete to hear the Philippians are like-minded, one in spirit and mind. So what's the answer? Well, he tells us what not to do. He tells us if we do this type of thing, we're gonna have dissension and basically we'll be just like the world. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's the type of mindset that's the opposite of unity and it brings division. We see that everywhere. Uh, This word selfish ambition is kind of the opposite of the way of Jesus, the opposite of what Paul's about to advocate our mindset to be like. Selfish ambition, we can't really find that phrase in the Greek hardly anywhere else. Aristotle uses it once, and when he uses it, it means the greedy attempt to gain the upper hand, a mindset that seeks to go higher at the expense of others. Paul, Paul's about to tell us as we dive into verses five through 11, that's not the mindset of Jesus, and that's the mindset he wants all of us to have who follow Jesus. The mindset of Jesus is not to go higher and higher. It's not to seek selfish ambition at the expense of others, but it's to go lower and lower. The the way of Jesus is not ascending greatness, it's descending greatness. It's to go low. So let's get into verses five through 11. This is the core of what I would like to talk about today. One of the more important passages in Philippians, and, and you could argue all of the New Testament. Paul starts, and he tells us that he wants us to have the mind of Christ. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. This word in the Greek means to think like this among yourselves. Be like Jesus. Think like Jesus, because then we'll live like Jesus. Paul's again trying to change our minds to think and live like Jesus. Verses uh, six through 11 uh, have been hotly, hotly debated since the very beginning by New Testament scholars. Nerd alert, this might get a little nerdy for you, but I like this kind of thing. The debate hinges on whether verses six through 11, if you'll see in your text, if you're looking down at your Bibles, it's set apart. It's, it's kind of a distinct little piece of scripture and that is purposeful. It's written in a different tone. It's poetic in form. It's almost like a song. So did Paul, if he's writing in AD 62, which we think that's likely from Rome, did Paul craft this song himself? People refer to it as the Christ hymn. I call it the Jesus song. Was this an original creation by Paul? If it was, it's great. Paul was led by the Spirit. He was a writer of scripture, has the same authority, no problem. Or was Paul pulling from oral tradition or things written other places that followers of Jesus were passing along. We know this sort of thing happened. Super interesting studies are coming out that the followers of Jesus from really a year or two within the death and resurrection of Jesus were already forming up little liturgies. 
that they were memorizing. Memory was huge for them. They didn't write a ton down. They memorized it. One is found in 1 Corinthians 15, another Pauline letter. It's clear. It said, this is what I passed on to you. Scholars think that was written within a year or two of his death or resurrection, summing up what they believed about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, what he's done for us. There's a lot of these things circulating around. Was this one of them? We don't know. My guess is, and my gut is, studying and reading a lot about this, is yes, I think that Paul is taking something that was previously written, maybe very, very early on about Jesus, and he's taking it, and maybe he's rewriting it a little bit, or casting in a different tone and light to fit within the Philippian letters, but I think it's very likely the Philippian followers of Jesus would have known this little Jesus song. So let's look at the Jesus song. Uh, It starts with Jesus, who was God in the flesh, did not consider being God in the flesh something to be used to his own advantage. That's kind of how the song begins. Paul's essentially saying Jesus was God. He's always been God. He always will be God. But he didn't use that to his own advantage. The very opposite of selfish ambition. Jesus didn't use his power to power up on people. Have you ever been on the receiving end of someone who's powering up on you? They're using their position, their authority in an abusive way or a way to further their own ends at the expense of you? Jesus could have done that. He was God. Paul's saying he did the exact opposite. Jesus, who was God, chose to use his power to power down and lift up others. The phrase is that Jesus made himself nothing this did not mean that Jesus gave away his godness, that he, he relinquished his divinity. That was impossible. He couldn't. He was fully God. This word, uh, I think the best definition of it is he laid aside his rights and privileges. Um, if, if you follow it all, the, the, the royal family, which I think that's a complete waste of time, uh, but maybe that's you, you probably, even if you don't follow them, have seen the story of Prince Harry and his wife, Duchess Meghan, uh, kind of leaving the royal family. They're still royalty. They can't give that up. That's who they are. But they laid aside their rights and privileges and kind of said, I'm out. I don't want any more of this. And they gave up a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of the privileges that go with that position to, I think they moved to Canada. They're just like, we're gone. We're out. And they left. It's that type of idea here. Jesus is still God and he could have used that godness to power up on us, but he powered down. He laid aside his rights and privileges. And then pa- Paul paints this beautiful kind of trajectory. You can, you can feel as you're reading it uh, and just look down at the text. You can feel the poetry and the imagery and imagining the Philippian believers and the believers all over in the first century singing this in their worship gatherings. And Paul's basically telling the story of Jesus that Jesus was at the pinnacle. He was at the top. He was God the Son. He created the heavens and the earth as part of the triune God. And then he decided to put on flesh and become human. He lowered himself. He didn't go higher. He lowered himself. And then becoming human, he continued to lower himself. We see this throughout his earthly ministry. Being human, he went even lower and began to serve the humans around him to where he went to the very lowest place. And we've talked a good bit about crucifixion throughout our our last word series. I don't need to go back over that terrain, but it was horrific. And it was dehumanizing. And it was about the lowest you could go as a human. You were stripped of everything. It was gruesome. It was embarrassing. It was humiliating. All this thing. Jesus sunk to that point purposefully choosing it 
And then Paul says, God lifted him up to the highest place. To where Jesus had the name uh, above every name. He is quoting here, and his first century readers would have instantaneously known it. This is one of those hyperlinks where they would, you could click on it and it takes you, and where it would take us is to Isaiah. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah. Let me read it to you. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there's no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, and by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. Isaiah is talking about one who will come, and in, in, in this moment, Paul's bringing that all together, saying that person was Jesus. He's painting a picture of someone not climbing a ladder to get higher and higher and higher and higher, which is what we're told we have to do to be successful. He's saying that's not the right way. He's flipping everything around. And he's like, Jesus wasn't climbing a ladder. Jesus was descending descending into greatness. Jesus was modeling for us how to live. The way of Jesus is not to go higher and higher. The way of Jesus is not ascending greatness. The way of Jesus is descending greatness. The way of Jesus is to go lower and lower. The, a lot of you may have been uh, maybe watching right now uh, a documentary on ESPN uh, called The Last Dance about Michael Jordan, who I wasn't a huge Jordan fan when I grew up, but I think unequivocally he's the greatest basketball player that, that ever lived. I was reflecting on, on uh, Jordan recently. Uh, he spoke at uh, the late Kobe Bryant's memorial service. And uh, it, there was, uh, it was a star-studded event. There was tons of celebrities and athletes there. But the Jordan moment when Jordan spoke uh, got all the attention, at least after. And Jordan was very emotional. He, he's never really presented himself that, that way, but he was a sloppy mess at the memorial. It, there's memes out there and, and, and video of just George, George just crying. He's bawling. He clearly loved Kobe. And yet he was really funny as well. And I remember watching it, that there was this, this moment where he said that young Kobe somehow got Jordan's cell phone number. Imagine that. And he's like, I would probably regret that for the rest of my life. And he kind of chuckled. He's like, this guy was tenacious. He said he would call me. And he goes, he goes, he goes I'm Michael Jordan. He's like, nobody calls me late at night. He's like, this guy, this kid would call me early in the morning. He'd call me late at night. I could tell he was at the gym shooting. And he'd ask me these intricate questions about my footwork on a certain move or how I position my head or how I moved my hips to get the def defense off uh, leverage point. All these kind of things. He, he wanted to know every single detail because Kobe was trying to model his game after the greatest. That's the idea here that Paul is trying to get those of us who follow Jesus to latch on to. That we're meant to model our lives after Jesus because he's the greatest. He showed us how to be truly human. And, 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 and we're going to lose our way if we fall prey to the thinking of the world that tells us to go higher and higher and higher. That's success. Paul's saying, don't do that. Look to Jesus. Look how he lives and model his life, your life after him. That's the idea in this passage. The word that, that Paul seizes upon is this word, humility. He says it twice in the passage. If one word could sum up how Jesus lived and how he thought, it's this word, humility. 
humility was, was not an ancient virtue. As we read uh, ancient philosophers like Aristotle and Plato, they don't talk about humility. Uh, there's uh, this group of writings called the Delphic Canon that's 147 uh, ethical principles that people would look to the Delphic Canon and kind of model their life like this is the epitome of being human. Nowhere in the Delphic Canon do we see anything about humility. Jesus really originated this virtue of humility. In the ancient Near East world, especially in the first century, humility was laughable. Everything was about honor. Uh, the wor- your worst fear was, was sh- being shamed. So everyone in the, in, the, in the Greco-Roman first century world was trying to climb the ladder to get higher and higher and higher, even if you could just kick somebody else off the ladder and down the ladder. I'm glad things have changed and we don't do that anymore. And of course we do. It's part of our broken hearts and it's part of our broken world that we have this inward drive that to be better, to succeed, I gotta step over other people and get higher and then here comes Jesus. And Jesus changed everything. Jesus defined himself. He says, I am gentle and I am humble in heart. If people would have heard that in the first century and they did, they would have laughed. Like, oh, this guy's a joke. Gentle and humble in heart. Who is that? What a loser. And we don't think that way anymore. We think softly about humility because the way of Jesus has changed everything. But at this time when Paul is writing, there's a lot of skepticism about what he was saying about Jesus. So let's, let's talk about humility for a second. I think with a lot of words, we have misnomers about them, and Paul is constantly trying to get us to think differently about words. So within the biblical context, what is humility? Let's, let's go at it like this. Let's talk about a few things, uh, a few ways in which humility is not this. So uh, a couple of things. Humility is not low self-esteem. And I think we think that a lot. But look at Jesus. Do you think Jesus had low self-esteem? Jesus knew. He believed when the Father said, you are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Jesus felt that deeply. Jesus didn't have low self-esteem, and he was the epitome of humility. Humility is not low self-esteem. Someone famously said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not humiliation. Humiliation is when someone does something to us and it's humiliating and makes us feel shameful and terrible about ourselves. Humility is a choice we make out of confidence in who our God is and who he has called us to be. Humility is not humiliation. Humility is not false humility. I've probably done false humility. You've probably done false humility. You probably know people that do false humility all the time. It's when someone's really good at something and maybe there's amazing uh, uh, theatrical performer or a musician or whatever their deal is and they're clearly gifted at it and, and, and they, they do awesome and you get done, you're like, hey, you were so awesome. They're like, aw, shucks, I, I'm not any good. <laughs> That's false humility. Of course they are. False humility is just another form of pride. And just, just a tip, if, 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 you're being, if you're using your gifts and you're doing well and you know God's used you, you know you've done a good job, and somebody tells you, just say thanks. False uh, humility is not a lack of am- ambition. We think that a, a lot of times. Paul, Paul juxtaposes humility with selfish ambition, not ambition. He says selfish ambition is the opposite of humility, but not ambition. You can be humble and ambitious about the right things. Uh, the great William Carey missionary, 
It said, says uh, in a quote, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And finally, humility is not being a doormat. We think that way as well. And to, to further that point, humility is not being in a position where someone is emotionally or verbally or physically abusing you and you think the way of Jesus is just to take it. That's not okay. That's not biblical humility. And if that's you and you're experiencing any kind of those abuses, please reach out for help. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to New Hope. That is not humility. What is humility? You may be thinking about this way. Like, what is it? Uh, good question. Our, our kids' community, here led by uh, Leroy and Christine and Tabitha, a wonderful team, uh, they, they have been putting out incredible online content since all this hit. And if you're, if you're a parent um, that, that have children, I hope that you're participating in that. No shame there if you didn't know about it, but let's go. Let's, let's get involved. We need to be shaping our children in this time, and they're offering incredible resources. Our family sits down, and we, we do the Facebook Live thing every uh, Sunday at 10, and then my daughter goes up with Nathan, and he has some online stuff for our middle schoolers, and she does that, and then we sit with Jubilee, and we turn on Leroy and his team. And we have a different virtue in kids' community every month. And you want to guess what the virtue for this month is? It's humility. And the kids have a, have a memory verse. And kids, if you're watching, you can, you can maybe quote that verse uh, to your parents. But the verse is Philippians 2.3 from our passage today. And let me just repeat that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above themselves. And parents, as families, we can be practicing this with our children. Uh, hopefully, we, we are. The kids' community definition of humility, I think it's spot on. And, and I think it'll come up on your screen here, is putting others first by giving up what you think you deserve. Putting others first by giving up what you think you deserve. Great definition. I think it perfectly corresponds with how Paul defines it and epitomizes it in Jesus, but I think we can go even simpler. What is humility? If you look at the, uh, the Hebrew idea of humility and the Greek idea and the Latin idea, they all essentially mean the same thing. They essentially mean to go lower. What is, what is humility? What is the way of Jesus? It's not about going higher and higher. It's not about ascending greatness. The way of Jesus, the way of humility is descending greatness. The way of humility is to go lower. So here's, I think, the challenge from the passage. And if you remember one thing from today, I hope you remember this question. I think this is what Paul wants us to wrestle with in our journeys, in our relationships with one another. I think this is what Jesus wants us to wrestle with. Here's the question. How low will you go? How low will you go? How low will I go? This is an upside down way of thinking about the world and Jesus always was doing that. And it makes sense because the world's really broken and there's evil and suffering and it's not redeemed yet. So it makes sense that the way we kind of naturally think things should work, Jesus comes in and flips everything. And this is another example of that. There's a key principle that governs this upside down world. And it's found in James 4, 6, 1 Peter 5, 5. And they are both pulling from the wisdom literature from the Hebrew scriptures, uh, Proverbs eleven two. It's very telling when you see this in scripture where something's being repeated a lot by multiple different writers. It's important. Pay attention and highlight it. And here's kind of the governing principle of this upside down way of Jesus' world. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let's break that down. So God opposes the proud. 
Proverbs is part of the wisdom literature. Uh, the word in Hebrew is chokmah, and it's how to live skillfully. That's the wisdom literature. And in Proverbs 6, the writer lists seven things that God can't stand, seven things that God hates. You want to guess what number one is on the list? You want to guess? Just tell, tell one another. Put it on Facebook Live. What's the number one thing that God detests and hates in human behavior? It, it's haughty eyes or prideful eyes. It goes on in Proverbs that the Lord detests the proud of heart and will tear down the houses of the proud. We see in another place in Proverbs that there is more hope for a fool than for a prideful person. Why? Why all this fixation on pride? C.S. Lewis famously wrote that pride is the root of all sins. He says pride was the anti, the complete anti-God state of mind. It's the exact opposite of how we're meant to live in the way that Jesus modeled. That word haughty, you know what that means? It means high of heart. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Our hearts tell us and our world tells us we should be going higher and higher, that that's success and that's good. Kicking people off the ladder, going higher and higher above people, lording it over them, powering up on people. The way of Jesus says, no, no, no. (laughs) That's what God hates. And that's what God will oppose. Uh, my wife and I have been married for, for about, for not about, for 20 years. We just celebrated uh, that anniversary. And part of it seems like we've been married forever in a good way. And, and part of it seems like it was just yesterday. And we, we'll have moments that I think in, in when you've been into something for two decades where we remember things um, hardly at all. Where we're grasping for memories. And then there's like those distinct memories, those distinct shaping moments. And there's a story early on where we were on our honeymoon and we are heading up uh, to uh, Lake Superior. We're going to catch a boat to an island that's a national park in Lake Superior and, and go backpacking. And some of you are like, you took your, your, your wife backpacking for the honeymoon? Yes, that's why she's so amazing. So we're on our way up there, and we're just driving, having a great time, one or two days into being husband and wife. And we stop at a little Wisconsin town and a little a cute little coffee shop to get some lunch, a bite to eat, some caffeinated beverages. So we got, each got some caffeinated beverages, and then we bought this, like, monster and delicious-looking pastry. And we were going we to split that, because that's what you do when you're, or when you're newlyweds. You, you split things. And so we got back in the car, and we're driving, listening to music, laughing, chatting, sitting in silence comfortably, all those things, and eating pastry <laughs> and drinking coffee where it came down to this pivotal moment. So we're going back and forth. We're handing the pastry back and forth, slowly eating it. And then it gets handed back to me, and there's like a pretty substantial like bite. It, it's way more than a bite. <laughs> and I'm looking at it. It's so delicious. It's so good. And I'm hungry. And I'm like, well, I'm a little bit bigger than her, and I probably deserve a little bit more. And I'm looking at it and knowing what I should do and what I was going to do. And I look over at her, kind of checking to see if she's watching me, which I didn't think she was. And I look at that bite, and I take one bite, and so then a regular-sized bite's left, which you know what I should have done, just giving her the last bite. Do you think that's what I did? (laughs) I wish that's what I did. So I look at this, I look at her, I look at, it's so delicious, and and I throw it in, and it's gone. And then I think I'm good and clear, and about 15 minutes pass, and we've been sitting in silence, and she said, I saw what you did, and that's the moment I knew she had eyes on the side of her head and the back of her head, and later she would tell me, when I saw you take that bite, I knew I was in trouble. (laughs) There's a lot of work to do. God opposes that. 
That's pride. That's me in that moment thinking I'm better than my wife, putting myself ahead of her, thinking of myself higher than I should be. God opposes that. But what does the second part say of this governing principle of the upside down kingdom? But that God gives grace to the humble. That God gives grace to those who willingly lower themselves below and serve so that others can be lifted up. That God gives grace to the humble. Raise your hand right now if you need some of God's grace. Go ahead. I'm I'm like this. Please. (laughs) All of us. Raise your hand if you want some of God's opposition. (laughs) Both James and Peter go on in their passages to say, if we choose the path of humility... The end result is the end result of Jesus that we read about in the Jesus song, that he will lift us up. That's the governing principle of how things work. When we go high, he takes us down. <laughs> he, go, he makes us go low. That's not a good experience. You've probably experienced that I have. But when we choose out of confidence in who we are as gospel citizens, as one that have been redeemed and set apart and called to holy living, as we choose in that confidence to follow Jesus and model our lives after him like Kobe modeled his life after MJ, as we choose that, we will be lifted up. It's incredible and incredibly convicting. Have you ever, uh, have you ever done the limbo? or the limbo dance. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, if you Google it, you can find many examples, and you're at a party, and someone's like, let's do the limbo, and there's a song, but you can basically do it to anything, and there's the bar that can get easily knocked off, and you're supposed to kind of go through it and lean all, I can't even, it's, yeah, I'm going to fall over. I'm getting old. You guys know what the limbo is, and each person goes through, and if you can't get under, and you knock it off, you're out, and it gets down to the person who can go the lowest. Uh, Shamika Charles, she calls herself the limbo queen. She's like one of the the greatest limbo artists alive in the world. And there's going to be a video that's coming up right now. It's 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 almost unimaginable what you're watching her do right now. She's holding trays, which is pretty cool because that's the idea of serving that we're trying to get at today. She's holding trays with beverages in them, and then she's limboing under a Toyota vehicle. It's just unbelievable when she goes as you're watching she goes all the way through and comes out not spilling a drop she's getting low and (laughs) as fun as that is to watch that's exactly what paul is talking about that's exactly the way he tells us we're meant to live as followers of jesus and we see this everywhere in jesus's teaching not only in how he lived but how he taught jesus told that story about the Pharisee, the righteous person, the religious person, standing in the temple. Do you remember this story? Praying. And do you remember what he prayed? He's like, God, thank you that I'm not like all these other bums. My own translation. That's what he's praying. He's a confident dude. You've got to give him that. And then Jesus said there's the tax collector, which in their day was like the epitome of the sinful person, on his face, low in front of God, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says these words. He who exalts himself will be humbled but the person who humbles themselves will be exalted. It's not about ascending greatness. It's about descending greatness. It's not about going higher. It's about going lower. How low will you go? Jesus, he, he, one time he, he gets invited to this prestigious dinner party, the best and the brightest and the richest in his town. He's this up-and-coming rabbi. They want to see what he's about. And in that day, everything about where you sat 
places of honor at the table. Jesus knew that, and he blew it up. He arrives, and he tells them literally, when you arrive at a dinner party like this, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. And then he repeats the line. The person who exalts themselves will be humbled. The person who humbles himself, takes the lower place, will be exalted. You want to know the number one argument the disciples had? Who was the what? The greatest. It was ridiculous until I look at my own heart and see myself thinking the same way. But when you're reading the Gospels and you see it again and again and again, and Jesus lovingly and patiently trying to correct their mindset and get them to think correctly, it's almost unnerving. They had this argument for the last time on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was going to be arrested and crucified after he had washed their feet. (laughs) It takes us forever to get this in our minds and hearts because we're so conditioned in our brokenness and in the world to think that, that success and ascending is going higher and higher. It's about ascending greatness, but it's not. The way of Jesus is descending greatness. It's about going lower and lower. How low will you go? How low will will I go? This week, even in quarantine, this week, count on it, you will have many moments of competing self-interest with people. It may be on a Zoom call. It may be on a phone call. It may be the people you're, you're, you're living with right now in quarantine. It will happen. It's part of the human existence. And it's like this, right? Competing self-interest. As a follower of Jesus, as a gospel citizen, as one that's called to model our lives after Jesus and believe what he says, that the way that he models is a way of abundant life. What will we choose this week? We'll have a decision. Will we, will we go higher and power up? and try to go up the ladder and go above people and lord it over them. That's the natural way. That's going to be your inclination. God will take us down. (laughs) Or will we give the other person the last bite of pastry? (laughs) Whatever that looks like for you. Will we believe Jesus, that he knows how to live, that he knows what abundant life is, and that when we go lower, God will lift us up? How low? will you go? Let me pray for us. God, thank you uh, for, for this Jesus song that models for us and explains to us the way that we're meant to live. We struggle like the disciples to get it. It doesn't seem normal to us. It's upside down thinking, but it is the way of abundant life. As those of us who follow you help us, we need the power of your spirit this week, Father, that when we, we have those moments of competing self-interest that by your grace, for your glory, that we would choose to follow your son and and go lower so that you, Father, will lift us up. We want that. We don't want your opposition. We want your grace. Uh, We thank you so much for this letter. We pray that it will continue to get into our hearts and our minds, but also get into our bodies and change the way we live. We pray these things in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen.